This episode is brought to you by my friends Quinn and Samantha Bible of Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or check the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn, joined by another super hard man, (laughs) Ben Garrett. Yeah. Yeah. Ben was drinking out of a a pitcher of water just now. Yep. And uh, can you, are you able to replicate it? Yeah. Here you go. Ready? This is me hydrating. (laughs) What a great way to uh, start the show, Ben. Thank you. For adding uh, that element of, oh I, yeah, I guess humor. That's what I. That's what I bring to the. That's table. what I bring to the table. So yeah. Ben, today we're going to be talking about a book that we've been reading, which is Deep Work. This is by Cal Newport, and I think you know I always tell people I've done some book reviews on here, and I call them the top shelf book reviews. Yeah. And I call them top shelf because, you know, the top shelf is where you keep the good stuff. Yeah. But for me, these are the books that I go to kind of every year. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have books like that on your shelf. Oh, yeah. Nothing as serious as this. No, but I mean, okay. So some other things on my my list. Stuff I read uh, generally once a year, like Lord of the, something from Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. Yeah. Yeah. Is going to be on there. Yeah. At least, uh, at least one of the Lord of the Rings books but usually all three. And then definitely the Silmarillion uh, is, I mean, sometimes multiple times a year, but at least once a year. I I feel like our listeners, you owe it to them. Oh, I would give me the quick (laughs) elevator pitch of the quick, the Fingor Florian, Schlamorian. What what was the Silmarillion? No, no, no. Fingolfin. Fingolfin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fingolfin. I was actually just writing a book proposal. Were you really for new Christian impress? No. Yeah. When you walked into the, uh, to the office, uh, Fingolfin was the first true high King of the Noldor. And that's a race of elves in middle earth. And he is the epitome of duty, honor. Uh, he's a man of his word. He's loyal and he loves his people in place. He has a sense is he of, still, he's still alive. No, no, no. He died. He died. Cause I would love to have him on this show. I would love to have him as a guest on the show. We should, you know what we should do? Call up the winch of Endor. Have her conjure up his ghost. I actually don't think that's... <laughs> I think that turned out poorly. Yeah, that was not a good move. No, he uh, he just epitomizes the sense of duty that surpasses yeah. himself. Um, and uh, loves his people in place very well. Yeah, but also... Also, great name. His name he is He goes to kill Morgoth. He does. He challenges Morgoth to single combat. And it's the only time anyone ever did that. That wasn't another uh, god like Morgoth, and Morgoth was afraid of him, but he and he didn't want to fight him because he thought he could lose. Uh, but for the sake of all the orcs that were like watching, he went out and he ended up killing Fingolfin, but not before he was wounded seven times, and he limps. He like it, it perpetually is in a limp now because of the wounds, and he's like constantly ashamed of that fight. It kind of reminds me of when I was a kid, like I was super into like Super Mario Brothers 3 mm-hmm. and like the final duel with Bowser. Dude. So, I mean, you could say me and Finn Golfin are pretty, probably like, I would say at least akin. We're, I have Finn Golfin blood. You do. Coursing through those, that all that five foot seven veins. <laughs> five foot seven. <laughs> 
It's five foot eight and a half. Ben. <laughs> Jeez, what a guy. So, Ben, we're going to transition now. Yeah. Now that you pitched your book live on air. Yeah. So, hey, hopefully you like it. Hopefully you like <laughs> it. We're, we're going to talk about a book that has already been put pitched. I wish that Cal Newport had come to New Christendom Press and said, hey, I have a, a really great book. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't exist when this was written. I also think he's definitely not a Christian. I don't think he would have <laughs> written this book for us. However, very good. So the, kind of the principle, I guess let's start with this, of deep work, is actually starting with shallow work. Yeah. We are in a world in which, especially in the knowledge work economy, where you just bounce from task to task to task to social media to task, back to mm-hmm. social media, and it really creates scattered, fragmented focus. Yep. Now, in the book, he actually argues that this is rewiring our brains. Mm. And it's causing people to not be able to do focused, intense work. So my question for you is, just very germane to New Christendom Press, why were we talking about this? Mm-hmm. Um, you, we've been reading the book for a week or so, and uh, you're, you're on like day three of deep work. I'm basically a, a master now. You're basically better at deep work than Cal Newport. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, get, I taught him all he knows. <laughs> I taught him all he knows. So, so just talk about the shallow work. I guess, let's, let's do this. D- did you experience that when you were in corporate America? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the first time I kind of accidentally stumbled upon the idea of deep work was when I got into woodworking. And he talks about this some. The yeah. idea of the craftsman where in order for the craftsman to actually make the thing that makes him successful, he has to go into uninterrupted, complete focus. Mm -hmm. That's the only way. And so anything that's not that is shallow work. Shallow work isn't necessarily bad. It's just not the thing that it's not the thing of value that you bring to the table in the world. It's not going to be the thing that sets you apart. No. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. It's the thing that literally anyone can do. Like sending emails and talking on the phone to people and uh, yeah, so 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 he calls it. This is his definition. He says shallow work is non cognitively demanding. So there's not very demanding work. Mm. Logistical style tasks often performed while distracted. Yeah, these efforts tend to not create much new value in a world, and they are easy to replicate. Yeah. So for me, this is not when you're doing your best work. Yeah. When I was a when I was a practicing engineer, it looked like um, when I would check my email every at least once every twenty minutes and respond to an email that really could wait. It, it's not urgent at all. Or when I'm done with the project, the actual report that brings value to the team, and then I have to input all of those details into this tracker. That really the only reason we use it is so that a year from now, we can look back and see what work was done. Now, that brings value, but in a shallow sense, where my talent is in writing the report, not in putting the details of the report to this tracker thing. So those details is shallow work. And that takes up, I mean, that took up the majority of my time. I think what's interesting, you're absolutely right. What's interesting is we can actually go through entire days, weeks. I've, I've had jobs where basically all I ever did there was the quote unquote shallow work. Yeah. And it's not work that anyone will ever remember. It's not craftsmanship work. And some of those jobs, admittedly, you know, the work had to be done. Mm-hmm. But I think what he's getting at too is 
there's actually an opportunity because nobody's really producing lasting work or not many people. If you're able to find a way to do deep focused work, you will do your best work mm-hmm. and then it will create things in and for the world that are of tremendous value. Yeah. So one of the sayings that I've said a lot, Kings Hall um, that I actually got from this book is he said, those who he's quoting, it's the old stone cutters motto or whatever yep. from many centuries ago. But he said, those who cut stones must envision cathedrals. Yep. And this book really raised my vision for what our work could be. And I think in the context of new Christendom, correct me if I'm wrong, we were sitting there thinking, okay, we have so much work to do and we want to produce legacy books and we want to produce legacy podcasts that, you know, when we're dead and gone a hundred years from now, the books will God willing still be useful to people. Yep. Or people, our great grandchildren will listen to this podcast and they will say, man, I'm so grateful for my, you know, my fathers in the faith who pushed the ball forward, who uh, created things that lasted. Mm -hmm. So, but we were, we were looking at this and we're saying, okay, but we live in this culture that is ourselves included. We're, we're addicted to busy. We're addicted to distraction. Yeah. Um, So how are we ever going to create work like that if we don't? Uh, have ways to carve it out. So then in, in comes this book and we say, oh, well, if basically, and I want you to unpack this for me, but basically if we can have two 90 minute periods a day where we are doing deep work, it's amazing. If you do that five days a week, it's yeah. amazing what could actually be accomplished. Yeah. Think about that's, that's oh my gosh, math. That's 15 hours a week of hyper-focused, Uninter- uh, uninterrupted, oh my gosh, I can't talk, uninterrupted and cognitively difficult work that you believe will bring absolute utmost high quality value to whatever venture you're yeah. doing. Yeah, so yeah. it's not even, it's not even like, oh, this is going to make the most money right now. No. Because then you could say, well, I should just talk to people that could do ad deals with us. That's the most like money making, the immediately the most money making thing that I could do. What this is saying is the most difficult thing that you do, that you are good at, that will bring the most lasting value, like what you're saying, the thing that you'll be remembered for, the thing that'll set you apart. And when we live in a world that's obsessed with busyness, like what you're saying, in these really quick administrative tasks, these widgets, it makes it difficult for us to focus on something and actually provide the most value that we're capable of to a field or an area of study. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting because uh, when you think about it, so he's defining deep work this way. He says, deep work is professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive capacities to their limit. These efforts create new value, they improve your skill, and they are hard to replicate. So when you look at the world and, and well, let's do that. You know, just look at new Christendom press. You look at somebody like Brian, you know, like Brian can do admin work. Yeah. But the thing that Brian can do that absolutely none of us can do here is sing and write songs. Yeah. Like he can, like Brian was like trying to explain to me the other day. Oh yeah. Writing the catechism songs is it's pretty simple. I just sit down and here's how I do it. I'm like, um, yeah. You might as well have told me that in Mandarin. Yeah, that doesn't help. I literally <laughs> don't. And I could never do that. And it would be, Ben, I'm going to be honest. It would be a waste of time if I went into his studio and was like, guys, I got this. Yeah. Brian, take the day off. 
It reminds me of the time that Ben wrote a incredible song. Incredible song. No, I mean, nothing short it's, of incredible. I don't know that I've actually launched it on the official podcast, but uh, oh the, the Hardman podcast has a new theme song. Yeah. Stay it's, it's not on this soundboard. Maybe that's for the better. That, <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> it's coming to a soundboard and a Hardman podcast near you. But yeah. Uh, what was the uh, the final countdown? It's it's Hardman podcast version of the final countdown. By yeah, Europe. it's amazing, epic. Yeah, pirated the instrumental off <laughs> some weird website. <laughs> That's so. right. Even better. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when you think about it, though, like for me, that would be okay. Well, writing podcast episodes, recording the episodes, doing interviews with people. Um. What What is one way, Ben? You think you you've read the book? You're thinking through this. What is one way that you could figure out? Okay. Ben Garrett, what do I, what's my deep work? Mm. How do I figure that out? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that you have to try a couple things. Yeah. But the biggest thing that I think, and I, I've talked, I've, I've told guys this before now, when we talk about mission, mm-hmm. the, your deep work is your mission work, where yes. it's like, this is the core thing that I have to do. This yeah. is what my life is about. You don't have to sit there, and Cal Newport talks about this. You don't have to sit there and look inward until you find the thing that you're like, I'm going to be the next big wave surfer. My mission is to be a big wave surfer and to bring Christendom to surfing. If that's you, that's fine, but that's not going to be most people. That'd be pretty sweet though. It would be sweet. Just pick something. Just pick a thing. If it's computer programming. Well, I would say this, uh, especially to young guys, uh, there's a book called range Mm. and uh, he talks about the myth of Malcolm Gladwell where it was like, you got to spend 10,000 hours from the age of two to be obsessed with something to um, get to the point where you're going to be like, like a master, you're going to be Tiger Woods. And that's the example that's always used, but he compares and contrasts it to Roger Federer. Roger Federer didn't pick up a tennis racket until he was like 15, which is insane. And his mom was like, you have a really weird swing and stop hitting one handed backhands. And (laughs) oh my gosh, you're good at that. (laughs) Yeah. And, And then he started to play and get obsessed. But uh, for most people, it's range. It's experiencing a wide variety of things that you try. And you'll finally, as you do that, you'll figure out, you know, this is something that I'm really good at and I like. Yeah. So for me, it was writing. It's the thing that in every season of life, just good things seem to happen. The stars seem to align when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. And if I do that, God seems to bless it. And other people have confirmed that. And so it's like, okay. I also feel very meaningful uh, when I'm doing that. When I think it's Mark Manson, but he, he made a comment. He said, how do you find the work that you, your life's work, the deep work that really matters to you, that you find meaningful, it changes people's lives. And it can be very different for different people. Uh, but he said, yeah, it's that thing you do when, you f- when you're doing it, you could do it for like six hours and you forget to eat or poop. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I'm that way with writing. Like I could sit down and start writing and literally I've had like six hours go by and I'm like, I haven't eaten or had anything to drink. Yep. I should probably do that. Yep. Um, it maybe for some guys it's woodworking, maybe for some small few people that is being a professional surfer. Yeah. I mean, take, you can use me as a, as a case study. I was an engineer. Yeah. I, I enjoyed engineering well enough, but it certainly wasn't something that I'm really passionate about. Um, but I loved engineering school. I really love learning. Mm. Uh, and then I love communicating those things that I've learned. That's what I've learned about myself. So I tried woodworking and I was like, I, I like woodworking, but now because of how things have worked out, whenever I walk into the shop, I get like this 
tinge of stress that just can't go away. So I'm like, all right, well, woodworking is not going to be the thing that provides for my family, even though I love it. So then I find myself here at New Christian Impress and Refuge Church. And this is, the, this is where God's placed me. And I find that I actually love coming to work every day. So I am now learning how to bring value to the table in terms of um, thinking of myself as a deacon for more than just the church, like an assistant to people who are doing really important things. And then through that, also learning how to produce things myself. Yeah. So learning how to become someone who can write something or produce a podcast and it be pretty good. Learning how to be uh, someone who can write a, a sermon or a Sunday school series and it be good. And I'm finding that, well, my passion not necessarily is writing, but I love communicating ideas to people that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Um, and don't you think like you go back to the summer, some, some recent events and care of our members, this is on the diaconate pastoral side. Yeah. But I think you and I have had very similar experiences with this where I remember as a young man, I was just had the opportunity to serve some people in the midst of their suffering and pray with them. And I, I wasn't a pastor. I was just sort of being mentored by some guys who gave me the opportunity to serve. And it was one of those moments where it's like, it's, it feels weird to say this, but when I'm with people in these, these terrible situations and speaking truth, praying with them, comforting them, um, ministering to their needs, there was just something in me that came alive in the midst of that and said, I really love yeah. this because I felt like it, it was meaningful. Um, I, I think, you know, God gifts each person accordingly. Yeah. And uh, so I'm assuming you would agree with that with yeah. the diaconate. Especially this past summer, we had some similar stuff, some tragedy happen, but the Lord certainly used it to kind of have a light bulb go off in my head where I'm like, I love caring for Christ church. That's what I really love to do. And I now see my life's mission is elevating and, and seeing the flourishing of the local church here in Ogden. Mm. New Christian Impress is certainly like, it certainly helps that along. So I have no problem doing both things. I love doing both things. But I see my life's mission as I want to see God's church succeed. I want to be hands-on in God's church succeeding. And so it, it was really a light bulb moment for me. So I would say that in order to find your deep work, you have to have your finger on the pulse of the things that are happening around you that you don't have an option but to address. Because in those things, I had an obligation as a deacon to care for people that were suffering tragedy. And in that obligation, I found that it was a great joy. In your obligations of life, you might find that God is actually showing you this is what your deep work is supposed to be. Pursue this. Yeah, a lot of it, I, I totally agree. It goes back to something uh, Headmaster Love, Kevin Love, said to one of my boys the other day, because they were talking about like, what do I going to do when I get out of high school or I go to, you know, into the workforce, what, what am I going to do? And he said, well, listen, you, you, I think it was like map or something like that, but you look at your opportunities, your gifts and your resources, something like this. Mm -hmm. and, and I realized that doesn't match the acronym I just gave it all, <laughs> but um, it, it was so good because it was basically like, well, just look around you and, and judge say, where do you see needs and where do you, in a weird way, we're like drawn to a need. We see it and we say, how can I meet this need? How can I mm. do that? Um, and say, where are the opportunities to serve? And then just use those opportunities, pray that God would guide you. And um, he has a way of providentially leading us into places that kind of awaken, as you said, these light bulb moments. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to close with as we um, end this podcast is the deep work hypothesis, because I find this really interesting. 
He says that the deep work hypothesis is this. The ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at exactly the same time as it is becoming increasingly valuable in our economy. As a consequence, the few who cultivate this skill of deep work and then make it the core of their working life will thrive. Yeah, I think that's completely having done it for three days. I think it's completely true. Here's the thing. In, in the past three work days, I've set aside two 90-minute blocks of the day. I've known when they're going to happen, and I've prepared myself for them. I put my phone on Do Not Disturb. People in the office know. People in the office know. Like, hey, unless something crazy happens, you know, try not to bother me. I'll even shut the door if I need to. And in those three days, that, that adds up to seven and a half hours. It's amazing what you can get done. I have accomplished more than I would have in probably a normal two weeks of honestly, which is like kind of sad to say, but I was busy before I was very busy. I was doing a lot of things, but I'm doing now things that I, I really believe bring a ton of value to the church and to new Christendom press that will last for a long time. And all it takes is just a dedication to say, I'm going to learn how to focus. I'm tempted to look at my phone. I'm tempted to check Twitter and you just resist it. And you'll find that you're actually capable of thinking very clearly about very, what maybe to you, complex things. And then you can communicate them and produce them. Maybe it's uh, making a sword. Uh, maybe it's making a, a workbench. Whatever it is, you'll find that it's difficult. But when you flex the muscle of focus, you're able to do things that, are, that would otherwise be seen as very difficult by you and that other people look at and they see that has intrinsic objective value. And you actually get better at it too. Like if you... I noticed this with like reading, writing. It's easier and easier the more you do it. Mm -hmm. So you just have to do it a lot, increase your load, and you'll, uh, that capacity, like you said, it's like a muscle. Yeah. Eventually, as you add more weight, you're able to do more. Yeah. Uh, Ben, I want to close this show. I don't know if you're prepared for this or not. Of course. Of course. I don't know what it is. Um, I think you should tell us just a little bit about the Mothman. Oh yes. Yeah. And then and then this is like a, a plug. This is like the ultimate teaser. Yeah. Uh I don't know how much you're willing to disclose at this point. Uh I'm willing to disclose that myself and another guy, another man, who will name nameless for now, are working on producing a the first season of a podcast called Haunted Cosmos. It will be focused around High strangeness. High strangeness is not necessarily supernatural things, though it could be. It's just things that we wouldn't describe as natural. Uh, It's our telling stories involved in high strangeness to try to compel people, get them to see that there are really interesting stories here, and then try to give our take as Christians as to what could be happening. Because we believe that this, this, uh, this world of high strangeness is saturated with pagans, and the Christians are the ones that have the answers to these things. And so we want to try and, you know, test our chops and see how good we are. But the Mothman is an example of high strangeness. So I'll just give you this teaser. Okay, bear with me. In the year 1965, in the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, there was two couples driving in the same car in what was known as the TNT area. It was this abandoned power plant on the outskirts of town. They pull up. It's kind of a lover's lane, so you know they're they're not up. They're up to no good. But they pull up to this place. It's very dark, and they're the only ones there. And their headlights reveal this figure in the distance. It's this humanoid-looking thing, but it's huge and hulking. And as the headlights 
come up on it, it reveals two glowing, nasty red eyes. The thing is revealed and it scurries around the corner of the building. They're weirded out and they turn away and drive off because they feel an existential dread overcome them. As they're driving away, they look up through the sunroof and see this thing flying over their car and scratching the trunk trying to get it to stop. They go 100 miles an hour and it keeps up without issue. They get back to town. They're frazzled and they're a little bit scared. They tell the police what happened. For the next 13 months, hundreds of people see this thing. Hundreds of people have dreams about this thing and about some future event that's going to take place. Exactly 13 months to the day from that first sighting, the the, the town bridge collapsed. It killed 46 people. And the Mothman was not seen again. What? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. I cannot wait, Ben. Yeah. So that's going to be a two-part episode. And then the first season is going to be 10 episodes total. Uh, and we'll go from there. But I think, I think people will enjoy it. Stay tuned for more from New Chris and Impressed. So we had another podcast today. We're talking to Chris Wiley. Yeah, Chris Wiley. He's going to be writing a book for us on risk. Which is going to be amazing. Uh, So you can listen to the interview with him on the King's Hall, but now this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So get excited. There's things coming. Uh, Your patience is going to pay off, I promise. I love it. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Hard Man Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Until next time, man, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.